and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Slipper Tenoris podcast, a podcast that focuses exclusively in English, of course, on the Copa Libertadores, the greatest club competition in South American football. And this week on the podcast, myself and Oliver Wilson, we talked about the quarterfinals, the first legs and the second legs, because there were three second leg quarterfinal clashes and we saw three sides get through to the semifinals. And of course, Racing played Boca in the first leg of their quarterfinal clash and all roads now leading towards the final at the Maracanã on January 30th. The tournament's getting really exciting now, Mr. Oliver Wilson. We talked about Becca Sese's dress sense. You had a little nostalgic trip down memory lane talking about Boca Juniors and uh, the beautiful history of the club. We, of course, hinted towards the possibility of a Boca River final, even though, even though neither of us predicted it would happen. We had also a bit of trivia with the quickest goal ever scored in a Libertadores game. Do you remember it, Wilson? Uh, I'm not going to ask for the player. Do you remember the sec- how many seconds it took? 11. No, 7. 6. 11 was But you're this one week. second out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 11 was this week. But overall, Mr. Wilson, another podcast down. Yeah, another podcast down. Um, I just wondered, actually, quickly, do you think we will get a all-Argentinian trophy hall in the Copa Sudamericana and the Copa Libertadores this year? Which hasn't happened for a few years. I think it was like 20... I think when River won it in 2017 was when uh, the Copa Sudamericana was lifted by an Argentinian side. But we are looking like that way just to get into the Copa Sudamericana swing of things. I absolutely love that within a minute of a Copa Libertadores <laughs> podcast, which, by the way, is stretching the nichest of football fans at the best of times, Ollie, to focus on South American club football, you've immediately hijacked that and gone into the <laughs> Copa Sudamericana, which is South America's equivalent of Europe's Europa League. It was only because... Which, only because... I mean, that is down the hipster tunnel in a big, big way, and I respect you for it. It was only because I was getting a very disappointed with... Um, I wanted to research when the last time uh, two Argentinian sides won the Libertadores and won the Sudamericana to see if it would bring up any okay. omens for what we were looking at with the quarterfinals and the semifinals. Nice. Unfortunately, it was only in 2017 the last time it happened. Um, if it means anything, that's when River won the Libertadores. So you've got three Argentinian sides in the semifinals of the Sudamericana and a Chilean side that have never been in the competition until this year and who scraped through against a COVID-depleted Colombian side. So Argentina are winning the Copa Sudamericana somehow as a nation. Whether whether it falls to River Plate now, is that the omen? That's what I wanted to get to. Is this now an omen? Hello, that River welcome to Wilson and Windsor's <laughs> Copper Sudamericana podcast, the only podcast that will ever exist focusing on the secondary club competition. All right, let's American get football. into the Libertadores. <laughs> fine, fine, let's do it. Enjoy the pod. This is McAllister to go. It took an inflection. But you can't take it away from the debutant. Late drama again. Dudu's inside the area. And rifles the ball home. It's a statement performance from Palmeiras. Apila takes it down. Takes the strike on. And fires Boca in front. It's a quite splendid goal from Apila. Guerrero, can he do it again late on? He finishes it. Internacional are going to the quarterfinals of the Comibol Libertadores. So we should start by not tying up a loose end, but unravelling the beginning of one end, because the rest of the ties are tying up loose ends. I've got my Christmas lights. They're all still stringed together, and I need to unravel them to get them aligned with all the other Christmas lights that I've already put on the tree. 
that makes sense, I think. Okay. When assessing the when assessing the Racing Boca first leg, I should stress, of their quarterfinal clash in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Of course, slightly delayed from the other three uh, other three matches, which are uh, the second leg of the quarterfinals. Racing one, Boca Juniors nil, Mr. Oliver Wilson. And I, I just want to say that the, the, the first thing that for me from this game is that uh, Mel Gorejo, who scores the winner for Racing, should have been sent off early on in the first half. It's a really naughty challenge. He gets a yellow card in a VAR world. I'm not quite sure how he survived that. So if you're a Boca fan, you know, before you even start to dissect little bits of the, the 90 minutes, you could easily say the goal scorer shouldn't have been on the pitch. Yeah, um, and we've already seen in the knockout stages already that VAR has been used to overturn and, and reassess bookings a couple of times now. So there's no reason uh, why the officials didn't do that. I think, though, if you're a Boca fan and you're making that as an excuse, that is the last excuse that you can make for a performance over 90 minutes that was as torrid, perhaps, as we've seen and, more importantly, as dysfunctional defensively as we've seen the inability to both clear lines and contain pressure at times, you know, Racing weren't electric going forward, but whenever they did come forward, I never felt that Boca, uh, particularly the back four and, and the back two of his Kiedos and Lopez looked like they worked together at all in with any sort of cohesion. And it led to mistakes and it led to uh, Mel Garejo so open when he does end up scoring the, the only ridiculous goal. Ridiculous that unmarked in the heart of the 18-yard box with like a four-yard radius around him. It's criminal. And we've lauded... The one thing we've been able to lord Bocker on for the last 12 months or so, despite poor performances, is they are organized and difficult to break down. And once again, as Liga de Quito uh, did uh, last year at times in the knockout stages, and uh, and of course it was River did as well in the semifinals, Bocker just suddenly have gone to pot a bit and don't look like they've got the organization at all. That header from Melgarejo, it's 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 one where you see it first, Ollie, and you think, wow, great header, don't you? Like diving header, diving header always looks spectacular. Great goal. And then the second time you see it, you just think, hang on, it was absolutely no one near him. And the third time and the fourth time you look at it, you think, actually, yeah, fine, it's a great header. But I mean, there is there is no one within five or six yards of him. It's it's completely ridiculous. Uh, but but you know, he's, he's bagged the goal. I just wanted to flag something here, which um I just I just found out from Fran, who works for the Boca in English podcast, and he was saying that um Eduardo Salvio is actually going through a bitter divorce right now. And, Ed, and Salvio is like Boca's best player. And apparently it was in the papers that um, his wife confirmed the divorce like the day before game day or something. So, um, you know, that's not great for your best player to be in that kind of headspace uh, on, the, on the day of the game. But she uh, a, yeah, just a little sidebar. She a wrestling fan by any chance as well. <laughs> that's something that should be looked into, to be honest, in terms of mind games. You know, we're used mm. to the classic Fergie and Wenger back in the good old days when, the, when Arsenal and United were always vying for the title. But now, to get mind games like that, that is that is very brazen. Bit of betting irregularities as well. She probably had 10K on Racing like, <laughs> at the same time as she told her lawyer to give Salvia the divorce papers. But obviously divorce. Very, very sad for, for Salvia. But yeah, I mean, he didn't show up. Vigia didn't show up. Carlos Tevez, I think we're at the point now where we're just asking too much of him. Like, I remember when we saw... Boca last year, Oli. And when Abila played, and Abila's certainly got his critics, and he's not the most, um, you know, he's not the easiest on the eye sometimes to watch Ramon Wanchope Abila. But he is 
he is a really, you know, he's, he's a presence. You can hit him. And, and for him not to be involved at the moment is obviously really, really bad for Bok. It was great to see Zarate actually uh, coming back into to the 11 off the bench because we, we know how dangerous he was, um, you know, at times last year. But listen, Rassing, advantage Rassing going into the second leg. The one thing I'd say is that in a normal year, you might say to Boca, right, home at La Bombonera, you've just got to overturn a one-goal deficit for a place in the semi-finals. They might be like, look, crowd behind us. That That's, you know, that, that's a half-decent... Obviously, losing's never a decent result, but it's a half-decent result. But I just think you take away the crowd factor, plus everything that you mentioned about Boca just looking a bit wet defensively and they're just really not poked going forwards. You can see Rassing finishing the job in, in a week's time. I don't know. I, I find it difficult in terms of, of making these predictions because as we spoke about Libertad and Palmeiras last week, um, you know, I, I felt Palmeiras played within themselves just because they were on the road, regardless of the, the lack of extensive travel and the lack of fans. And so you could still see uh, a racing performance at the Bombonera next week where they try and hold on. There's nothing worse at times mm. than a 1-0 advantage away from home second leg to come because there is still that that temptation to just sit back and restrict yourself. And and you could see that happening, particularly with uh, uh, Becca Sese, who is not the most experienced manager at this caliber of competition at this level, nor is this a racing side that I think have been to this level of the Libertadores for a number of years now. So we are in slightly new territory for a lot of these players and for a manager in dealing with this sort of pressure. And the Bombonera, fans or not, is still an intimidating place to go because of the history around it and Boca's reputation and performances to match it at that ground. So making making predictions is ridiculous in the Libertadores anyway. And there's a couple of games this week where I'm going to talk about what we've said before and and how it all goes to pot and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, okay, you can see it going either way. The, the cards are completely taken off the table it's a blank script now when you've got these close teams from the same country playing each other in this competition one thing we have said Ollie, at the start of the whole tournament you backed Boca to win it and I backed River to win it so you know both of our sides are, are, are still in it um, that that second leg it's on the 23rd of December we've mentioned this before it's absolute peak Argentine summer I'm not sure they've confirmed the kickoff time yet but I imagine they'll push it late they'll, they'll push it into the late uh, late evening kickoff so, so that hopefully the temperature can drop a little bit um, it's a really fascinating one for the neutral uh, we've got to talk about Sebastian Beccasese um, because there's three aspects of his whole avatar that individually I can make my peace with but when you put the three together I can see why they annoy people. You don't have to look very far on Twitter or the internet to see Bekasess has got his critics and the way he sort of looks. I mean, the ponytail, fine, don't mind a ponytail. The unbuttoned, he's unbuttoned, you know, he's just, it's, it's the kind of, it's the real four, five, six um, unbuttoned shirt look. And then it's the mask around the neck that I think finishes it for me. Like, just don't wear a mask. He spends the whole time <laughs> on the touchline with the mask around his neck. It's like, you don't, you're outside, you don't need to wear a mask. There's no obligation for them to wear a mask, I don't think, because half the coaches do and half don't. So what's it doing around the neck? Just throw it away. And I think the three things together this week, you know, I'd always been quite, Becca Sese, uh, you know, I, I don't really don't really mind that whole look he's got going on. But um, yeah, I can see why he annoys people. I love that. I mean, I always enjoy his flamboyancy and dress code on the sideline. You know, espadrilles well. or, or loafers and, yeah, the, the, the three-fifths trousers and everything like that. If you can pull it off, 
pull it off. And if you can pull off a t- ponytail, you can definitely kind of pull off anything else really at that point. Once you've got the hair sorted like that, everything else is just, <laughs> it goes. Um, yeah, I don't know. The mask thing, maybe, maybe I would understand it a little bit if it's like, if we knew that he was putting it straight back on every time he went down the tunnel and it's a close area and all that kind of thing. And it's just like, uh, oh, I'm just tearing, pull it down over the, like over the chin, whatever. Let's, the game is, what, is it what's important right now. And then he just flips it back up. You know, that maybe that I don't know, like masks and stuff. Everything else that's going on with Becca Sesse, it's the mask that's the straw that breaks the camel no, that is Dave Windsor's back. Yeah, it's um, it's just a little bit odd, that's all. But uh, yeah, listen, Racing fans, fans love him, and um, yeah, understandably so. They got one foot in the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores, and wow, I mean, haven't won it since 1967, which is quite a while back. Should we move on, Ollie, to their semi-final opponents? Whoever comes through that one, take me, take me to, uh, well, to my own downfall uh, well, of ignoring. Well, actually, well, yeah, likewise, yeah. No, I was going to say likewise. I mean, I woke up. <laughs> I think the first WhatsApp you sent me overnight or in the morning was, we underestimated Santos, didn't we? And it was something we touched on a little bit last week because Santos have somehow sort of slipped, slipped under the radar slightly. And my big question, Santos beat Gremio 4-1 on the night to qualify for the semi-finals of the Libertadores. And I've just got a question for you, Ollie. Is is this, was this, the most impressive performance of the knockout stages so far? I'm not going to say the tournament because Independiente del Valle absolutely battered defending champions Flamengo in the groups, which is still, I think, the standout result of the tournament. But is this the most impressive result of the knockout stages? I think it's hard to argue against that, in my opinion. I think it's very easy to argue it. Um, So argue that it's not. Because Gremio were horrendous. I think this is actually one of the most overvalued victories of the tournament so far. Perhaps alongside Palmeiras' bashing of Delphin, which we got very excited about. And then it was like, well, actually... Delphin are a pretty poor side. They're lucky to be in the knockout stages. I, honestly, Santos did well. They took a chance as well. Some of the finishing was very good. Mourinho's strike was uh, was really nice. I think it was Caio Jorge had one that was awesome too. Uh, in the first minute when he rounds the keeper after Gremio gift them the goal inside sixty seconds. So if eleven you wanna, seconds. If you want to, if you want to talk about when a side plays within itself and destroys its own chances. 11 seconds into a vital Copa Libertadores game, conceding the first goal after you give it away straight from kickoff, sets the tone for Gremio. And it got so much worse. Again, almost defensively as bad as Boca against Racing. In terms of, I've not seen a side look at times so good and then in a game like this look so bad particularly when we were talking about the consistency of this Gremio side and how their style of football doesn't necessarily change too much and, and they're a group of players that's, that certainly we have seen and know how to play alongside each other. And last week it was Vandalay that I was arguing against in terms of his mistake that led to the Santos goal. This week, I think there's nine or ten players in that starting eleven that were pretty atrocious with their possession, distribution and their ability to, to defend and, and look organised at all. And and you have to credit Santos for taking their chances, for sure. But I think it's a it's a result, a four one result that certainly doesn't reflect the quality of a San, this Santos team. I think it, they are not a four one against Gremio sort of side on any other day of the week. It's a result that shows how bad Gremio were instead. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with all of that. I think, listen, you could see the goal within 11 seconds, as you say, and that the night's not going to end well for you. Of course, that is um, Caio Jorge scoring after 11 seconds. It's not the fastest goal in Libertadores history, Mr. Wilson. That came courtesy of... Uh, no, I don't know that one. <laughs> uh... Oli, how can you not know it's Felix Suarez for Alianza Lima in 1976? Six seconds. Oh, I mean, that's, I thought that's, on the, that's, that's in every pub quiz, isn't it? Up and down the country this Christmas. If the pubs are open, that is. I think it's uh, actually yes. in the uh, big fat New Year quiz of the year or whatever they do on quiz Channel 4. Year. I think oh. it will be <laughs> cropping up on that, actually. So you might have just... I don't know if you were involved with any of the production with Channel 4. That's definitely spoilers. So apologies to our audience. <laughs> It's a great goal. It's a really great goal after 11 seconds. He's actually got loads to do, does Kyle Jorge, the teenager, when he rounds the goalkeeper, um, uh, rounds the goalkeeper, Wanderlei. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a fabulous goal. And Gremio never recovered from that. As you say, Marino with a, with a great goal. Kyle Jorge in the second half just kind of uh, scores from a corner. It's, it's pretty poorly connected in the end, but uh, but he does well to get it in the back of the net. And they've won 4-1. So it's a massive result. Gremio's incredible runner for reaching three successive uh, Copa Libertadores semi-final appearances comes to an end and this Santos side so, so you you don't think Ollie that this is we're underestimating this Santos side do you think that their results have just they're not, yeah, I, they're, I, don't, I don't I don't know what to make of this Santos side then they haven't magic results out of thin air definitely not however to read into a scoreline like I did when I woke up, I, I will say I didn't watch the game live. Uh, I was able to find a, an illegal extended highlights of it on, on YouTube instead with some wonderfully wild Brazilian commentary. If you ever want to go through the depths of YouTube and look through and the, the cuts. Um, Not Mamucci, was it? No, it wasn't Mamucci, unfortunately. I think that would have been live on Instagram, though, I think, <laughs> taking <laughs> yeah, yeah. fielding questions as well. Um, no, And like the cuts that you get on some of these illegal um <laughs> highlights yeah, packages amazing. and stuff are absolutely incredible um but yeah i woke up and saw the result and was like oh wow god santos must have played him off the park and then to see it i was actually really deflated of like oh we haven't actually seen santos play extremely well uh, we have just seen a kind of a capitulation i did want to ask you just quickly um the the, mm. the goal after 11 seconds is it's jean-pierre that plays it back and it's david brass that struggles with the pass back and and if you haven't seen it try and find it uh, it it's just a innocuous. Jean Pierre picks it up on the edge of the centre circle, yeah. strokes it back to his centre back like a pass that nine times out of ten, ninety nine times out of a hundred is is just straight back to his feet. And Brass just makes this weird like lunge towards it and then steps away and then goes again. And by the time he's kind of undercommitted to it, Caio Jorge is in behind, rounds the keeper and scores. And I was just wondering if you put it on <laughs> Jean Pierre who has been the kind of creative architect for Gremio, or do you put it on the defender and his kind of inability to read what should have been a simple pass back to him? Is it, Or are both at fault? Because that is what set off this just chain of events and lit the blue touch paper for, for Gremio's downfall. In this instant, well, it's obviously and generally a combination of the two, but I'm inclined to blame David Brass more just because I think it was quite, as you said, it was quite a routine ball and David Brass just seemed to get himself in a real muddle and next thing he knew, Caio Jorge is so quick, he's just kind of onto it. So so I'm inclined to blame the defender, but I would, Jean-Pierre, who I really, really like, Oli, he had such a great chance at 1-0 to, to make it one apiece mm. on the night. I mean, he really had a fabulous, and he scores that one apiece on the night, two all on aggregate, um, the away goal's cancelled out and, and then I think it's just a totally different game. So I don't blame Jean-Pierre for the, for the pass back to David Brass. Uh, but I I do 
blame Jean Pierre for not uh, scoring to make it one all, and that really would have been a, a complete game changer. But listen, Santos are through to the semi finals of the Copa Libertadores. So that is that side of the draw, really. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, either way, it's definitely not what we were expecting initially when we probably looked at the, the knockout stages. I think it will be interesting if it ends up being Boca against Santos because I think that could potentially be a fairly flat semi-final unless we have been and continue to underplay Santos and the pace and the speed of the youngsters. I mean, you have, again, you have to give them credit for taking the opportunities and, and being pretty ruthless with the chances that they did get against Gremio and, and there is some pace in that side, but I just don't see it too often when they're in possession and trying to link moves together. So if it's them against Boca, I would fancy Boca. If it's Racing, then it's even more of a wild card semi-final. I just like the idea of seeing that. The other side of the draw then, Palmeiras and Libertad drew one apiece in the first leg. And to be fair to you, Ollie, last week on the pod, I said, you know, we had a kind of mini predictions of what was going to happen. And you said Palmeiras are going to absolutely walk the second leg. You were right. They scored three, could have scored 10. Really, really impressive Palmeiras at home. They were back to the kind of free-flowing goal-scoring best. And I just look at that side now and the 11 that started. Ronnie, I really like. Rafael Vega, good player. Gabriel Verón, young, extremely talented. Gabriel Menino, really good. Gustavo Scarpa finding some fabulous form. So I already think you look at that, that there's there's five players who are all very dangerous going forwards. Gabriel Menina is a bit more versatile, can play at right back as well as defensive midfield, but he does offer something going forward. So certainly the front four plus Gabriel Menino are all really, really dangerous. And and I was very, very impressed with Palmeiras. And they're, they're actually really, really good to watch. Roddy and Gustavo Scarpa have got a nice dovetail going. Mm. There's something really um, there's something really fun about those two players. Roddy with his kind of low center of gravity and Gustavo Scarpa's got the smile on his face. Um, you know, can strike him from range. Got a little bit of something extra. So this is this is a fun Palmeiras team. We knew that before, but we saw it again against Libertad in the second leg. But this is what I was talking about earlier with when we... There are some times on this podcast where we make a... I don't know. I think it was fairly bold to be so punchy about how good Palmeiras will be in the second leg, I think. And and they were. They were everything that we mm. thought they could be and everything they weren't against Libertad. I mean, there's not too much more that I can really add after what you've just said about their performance. I mean, Gustavo Scarpa's strike is an absolute corker Great. from distance. Really nice. But then the, the finishing of uh, Gabriel Menino and, and for uh, Ronnie as well, both excellently dispatched as you say they could have had more Gabriel Veron had two or three really good chances to add to the yeah. two awesome goals that we've seen him score in this competition already um yeah I mean Libertad t- showed up and they made up the numbers and that was very nice of them to do it but uh, <laughs> it was always asking asking a hell of a lot I mean you leave the best maybe oldest player Oscar Cardozo on the bench what do you expect Dave Sure. And, uh, you know, the fact that Martin Silva was their best player, the goalkeeper, probably sums it all up for them. Some incredible saves, actually, from him. Mate, the, the double save from, was it from Gabriel Veron? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. So I always think goalkeepers kind of enjoy that that type of game, right? You know, obviously they want their side to do well and that they don't want to make many saves, but there are they are a goalkeeper. So I often wonder when their goals are being absolutely pelted and they get to throw themselves all over the place. But they're, they're deep down, they're kind of enjoying it. Well, especially when you have that double save and, uh, you know, you've got all of your teammates because at that point they were still in the game and that's a hugely important save. And if Libertad had come back into it, then that would have been the, mm. that's the catalyst moment. And all his defenders get around him as if he saved a penalty or something like, come on, and... 
there's not many times you get that injection, I'd probably imagine, as a goalkeeper into your performance. And uh, yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly was the man of the match from the Paraguayans' point of view. Unfortunately, it was probably the twelfth best player on the pitch out of the starting <laughs> eleven. So, yeah. Um, so Palmeiras safely through, where they will play River Plate, who very, very comfortably came through against Nacional, winning six two on the night, eight two on aggregate. Uh, before we talk about the actual game in Uruguay against Nacional, Oli, if you, if you hadn't watched any of the Copa Libertadores this year and you kind of just scan the semifinals and scan back through some of the results, you might look at this. You might look at um, the sides remaining and look at River and think, OK, River has scored 31 goals in 10 Libertadores games. They're averaging more than three goals a game in the tournament this year. This must be the most exciting, free-flowing you know, beautiful best side in the tournament. Of course, that statistic is very, very weighted by the demolition uh, they gave B Nacional twice home and away in the group stages. And they were playing against a Nacional side who, who played for the vast majority of this game with 10 men after the goalkeeper, Sergio Rochette, was sent off. And he was so good against Independiente del Valle as well in the last 16. He was probably the reason that Nacional came through um, that contest. So it was kind of an odd one for River in many ways because... Listen, they've won, they've won 6-2 in the second leg of a, of a quarter-final tie away from home. So I'm not going to be too critical. But I am just going to be a little bit critical because Nacional have scored two goals despite against River, despite being down to 10 men. And I think that will worry Gachado a little bit, you know? The fact that Nacional were allowed to score a couple of goals. And this River side... Yeah, Gashado's still chopping and changing the side, which is something we can talk about in a, in a little while, Ollie. But basically, yeah, River scored 31 goals in the tournament so far, but it's not really a complete reflection of how good they've been because they haven't been great so far in the tournament. Well, this is the other thing of when we ask uh, talk about sides and, and River, we said last week, just aren't a side that put in these performances where they completely see off a team and put their foot on their throat and they bag a load of goals. And so seven days later, they go and bag a load of goals against a weak side and kind of put their foot on the throat and end up, you know, <laughs> Rafael Bore has had the the easiest hat trick you will ever see. I think he's got a total distance from goal of about nine yards in his three goals. He's, it's just tapping after tapping after tapping. Uh, you know, our friend Joel Richards all on three, said it. Yeah, all three assisted by Gonzalo Montiel. Which is, it can't be that. I didn't have a dig through the statistics, but that's quite rare, I'd say. All three goals and a hat-trick being assisted by the same player. Not totally rare, but quite rare. And you know I've always liked Montiel. I think he's European-bound. He's Europe-bound um, sooner rather than later, probably in 2021. Uh, but he's just putting them on a plate for, for, for Borre, as you say. But yeah, it would be um, easy to look at the result and get carried away with a, ooh, River must be super entertaining. And like... And, I think actually they are entertaining in a, you know, they, you see them change their system and style again this week, going to a 4-3-3 after doing the 4-4-2, was it last week? And then the 3-5-2 the week before. Yeah, and chopping and changing. The, the versatility. I think it's also one of those things of River know they're probably going to face a very good side at some point in this competition. And if there's enough tape on them to look back through of like, well, what are they going to play? Makes it very difficult to prepare. And so over two legs in a semi-final, it, it makes it even more difficult to prepare if you're not sure how they're going to come at you because there's so many different ways. Um, yeah, I, sorry, mate, yeah. No, and uh, I, I think you're right. They will be, Gachado might be frustrated with the fact they've conceded two against a team 
down to 10 men. I think there was also, though, very much an attitude of we've got two goal lead uh, from the first leg and then they score the first two and it's like, it's 4-0. I mean, this is yeah. this is over. And and the manner of the goals as well, Carrascal and Nico De La Cruz both score almost carbon copies of each other, cutting inside, right footed, smashed into the far corner from the top of the 18-yard box. Only one of them made the top 10 goals of the week, I think, this week, which was, if one's in, the other one has to be in as well because they're identical. It was a curious selection this week, wasn't it? <laughs> but, um, I think, uh, but I think it's game over at that point. And then those two goals may have actually been the wake-up call for, all right, let's go and completely finish the game off then. Um, and that's always a good thing to have because you can't afford to lose games at this point in the competition and have that wake-up call. So the better thing is to have a momentary slump in this sort of game. And Gachado gets apoplectic at them on the sideline for a bit and then Montiel's like okay I better get forward and put three on a plate for Bore and that should work out quite nicely in the end and it's all very comfortable and tidy yeah there's just some really interesting tweaks as well and think of this riverside and I don't know whether it's Gachado's tactical genius or just the fact that he can't make his mind up is one of, one of the two <laughs> you know the fact that sort of Casco's out now and and Hilary's in at left back that seems to be a a very yeah, that feels kind of semi-permanent from from Gachado. Um, oh, listen, there's a lot of um, issues, as we know, with with uh, players have tested positive over the last few weeks and injuries and stuff like that. But I think Zuccolini now scored home and away against Nacional. He's got a great mm-hmm. case to make to be in the starting eleven. Carascal, youngster, highly rated, as you say, scored an absolute cracker. He's got a really um, a big case to be made. Alvarez, again, came off the bench, scored five goals in the group stages, as we've repeatedly say, said, but he, he can't find a start in this River eleven. So, and, you know, Nacho Fernandez, who's been in really poor form, I think might find himself, and, and Gachado is so loyal to Nacho Fernandez, and rightly so, because he's been great for him over the years. But I wonder if Nacho Fernandez doesn't start that first leg against Palmeiras in in early January, and and, uh, and Gachado finds a spot for Carascalo Zuccolini, maybe. So that'll be really interesting to to see. Rafael Santos Borre hasn't been in good form recently, so to talk about needing a hat-trick, he got it at the right time. Six goals in the tournament for Borre. And I just, I don't think I'll be able to sleep easily in 2021, Oli, if Fidel Martinez finishes the Copa Libertadores as the top scorer. Because the guy scored eight goals in the qualifying stages, which in the Libertadores count towards that top scorer tally. And it's just going to annoy, I just, so I want someone to to supersede that. And we're running out of games and Borre might be the the best uh, candidate. Uh, He might have scored eight of the best goals in the tournament though as well. There weren't many all finishes from Fidel Martinez mm. in the in the qualifying round. So I think there should be additional props, like a difficulty modifier for that, that keep him still in the potential hunt for it. But I agree with you. Having qualifying goals as, as goals counting for the main tournament and therefore crazy. top scorer, it seems uh, completely out of place. But I would also take exception to Boré being the man that takes it. If three of those come in from two yards out in a game against Nacional, it, that didn't mean anything at that point really at all. There's... Martinez scored more important goals for his team in more competitive games than half of what Borre has tallied in this competition so far. So there's a way you can yeah. flip it on the other way that like Borre is sure. just mopping up the leftovers in this game and is going to potentially take it. Um, I, I just <laughs> yeah. love the fact that like Lucas Prato is still making appearances for River. Like I get the old dog off the pitch; he can see this game out. You know, he, <laughs> and you just imagine him on the bench, like, "Yeah, I got this, guys. Don't worry, I'll settle the ship down. Everything's calm <laughs> once I come in. It's all good." Um, but yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week with the with the depth. You know, Milton Casco is another player that I think um, is a great player to have as depth quality coming off the bench as well. Um, Gashado doesn't seem to. He's got a, a 
a squad that's been slightly affected by COVID, but I don't think River has been hit as hot a number of other teams, sure. maybe not left in this competition, but throughout the competition. I mean, Junior this week in the Sudamericana had two substitutes and their manager <laughs> was coaching them from home over like Zoom calls and mobile phone calls because of That's the amazing. COVID. And they almost still went through, <laughs> which is incredible. That's amazing. So like there there are far worse tales than sure. rivers of uh, dealing with COVID in this and this, the quality they have. And, and we, we keep waxing lyrical about the cohesion, cohesion, cohesion and, and the way that Gachado can, can change this American. team. Get that man back on a plane to South America. That was um, he's <laughs> nearly slipping into that Look, shadow. I've been oh, saying shit. this for I've been saying this for weeks that I need to be back on a plane in South America, mate. But <laughs> they just won't let uh, me uh, in, unfortunately. No, Ollie, I was going to um, who's the next player to get picked out of this Riverside and make their way to Europe? Monty, or you're not necess- not necessarily to Europe to the MLS or China, or, you know, where the last kind of batch have gone. I mean. Yeah, were you going to say Montiel? Montiel and Nicodella Cruz are head and shoulders above the rest in terms of not only what they have in talent, but the youth on their side as well. Makes some very interesting prospects to come across. And I and I, I think we're getting beyond the stage of looking at players in South America and saying, oh, they can do it there, but they can't do it here. Even if they come across at a later date, you look at Palacios at Bayer Leverkusen, um, Almiron as well. Uh, not Almiron, mm-hmm. Um Alario, excuse me, eight eight goals and eight going into this week's Bundesliga fixtures and leads Europe in goals per minute this season, I think, because he's played, I think he's had six substitute appearances and scored eight goals. Okay. But like these players didn't go across at like a tender age where they were nurtured from 17, 18. They built a reputation at River Plate in particular as they are becoming a good feeder club for European teams. But, and under Gachado as well, he's bringing through good young players on a fairly consistent basis from for, for River Plate and then sending them off to Europe. So, yeah, I think I think Montiel and Nicodella Cruz can continue that trade on. Yeah, just looking at that River 11 that started, I mean, Bore had a go in Europe, didn't really work for him. Matias Suarez did very well in the Belgian League. So, so there's a couple of players that have kind of had their time in Europe and gone back. Um, I, I wonder what's left. If Montiel and Nico de la Cruz were to be sold, I, I really don't know what would be left for Gashana. But that's probably a question for, for later in January and another day. Um, so that makes up three of the four sides, Ollie, in the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores. Is, we spoke last week, and I think this has been a probably a trend that we've spoken about, and many people have spoken about over the course of the last few years in South American football. Again, it's Argentina and Brazil in the semi-finals of the competition. Libertad were destroyed by Palmeiras. Nacional were destroyed by River Plate. So that's you know the only two non-Brazilian and Argentine sides. It it would just be great for ha- it would be great in the competition needs in the next two or three years to see a side from outside Brazil or Argentina go all the way. Yeah, I think what is one team in eleven is uh, that's won it previously uh, has been from outside of Argentina and Brazil and that was wow. Atletico Nacional in 2016 the Colombians but if you go back to 2009 knowledge 2009 to 2019 all but one are Argentinian or Brazilian sides and at least you can say maybe aside from you know Rivers brief spell of being you know in numerous finals and and winning two of them, at least you can say that it bounces around Brazilian and Argentinian teams in that, <laughs> all right, there's no consistent 
dominant force yeah. from those nations. I don't think anybody apart from River has repeated in that time spell. Um, yeah, nobody else apart from River during 2009 to 2019 won it twice from Brazil or Argentina. So and and not not twice in a row, Ollie, since Boca in 2001, which is 20 years ago. So it is still a different name. But, I mean, you can go even further back. 1992 to 2019, you have... Wow, yeah, looking at Three different... Uh, sorry, four winners in that time frame from outside of Brazil and Argentina. This is just the way that football on the continent is at the moment. And it, it does mean that you need to enjoy the likes of, uh, you know, a Liga de Quito, a um, Independiente del Valle, when they do play really nice football. Because... These legacies in South American football don't last for too long anyway. Look at Flamengo already this year. Look, have, have looked a completely different side to the one that looked like it could potentially be an all-conquering... We were spoke on our last podcast last year of Flamengo could be an all-conquering team for four to five years on this continent. And now they look like they're, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they can't get into the quarterfinals of this competition sure. when it looked like they get there at a canter. So... I think, it, yeah, it's important to appreciate when you do have good sides playing good football. Like Palmeiras, but it's also a time that you need to strike. Palmeiras need to hit this year because they might not have this team and they might not have this I'll manager get... and everything changes so much for next year. Yeah, I'm going to be really unapologetic, I think, Ollie, in the future about supporting non-Argentine and non-Brazilian sides in the competition. Obviously, remain neutral, but, I'll, you know, I, I think that's absolutely fair. Just when you, just when you said that, uh, you know, that is incredible, isn't it? So from 1992, sorry, just going back on your statistic about how many sides have won it. Since 1992, which is an awful long time ago now, mm -hmm. there were straight Brazilian and Argentine winners until Olympia won it in 2002. Then Once Caldas won it um, And in where are they now? And where are yeah, they now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Once Caldas doesn't... Uh, yeah. And then in 2004, Liga de Quito won it in 2008. And Atletico Nacional, as you said, won it in 2016. So that's four since... I mean, it's, it's since 1992. That That is amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully there's there's bigger and better things to come from outside the. Is it just the, the two biggest nations? Just because of the made cup of South America, do you think? You know, those are the two. Just geography. Richest countries. No, no, like they're, they're kind of the economically they're probably the the richest com countries on what is a very versatile, politically and economically, or rocky, should I say, uh, politically and economically, I'd continent. I think it might just be a population thing. Brazilian by heart, by far the highest population, and then second yeah. to Argentina. Um, yeah. They've got the sheer amount of footballers, and therefore they've, you know, they've capitalised on that. And you've got um, then the established sides as well. I mean, obviously, you can compare it very loosely to oh, if you get a uh, Man United, a Real Madrid, a, a Liverpool, or whoever in Europe asking for you, is it the same thing? If you're a Liga de Quito and a, a Boca, a River, an Independiente, a Corinthians, a, a Flamengo come asking for you you can't turn it down surely because mm. because they're the established names on the continent it'd be something to to try and dissect with with somebody like joel and yeah maybe give maybe give tim vickery a little shout see what he's up to in the downtime yeah, between no. the semi-finals and, and <laughs> yeah i think so because it's it's something that we've only come to relatively late and you really need to kind of span out don't you and look look at look at the whole thing um ollie at the start of the competition you tip boca juniors to lift the trophy sticking by it yeah, I think I, I very much started to walk across a gangplank between them and Palmeiras last week. And uh, yeah, I, I the heart wants Palmeiras. The head is probably saying it's not going to be Boca. So I think I think that's yeah, the that's... only switch I would make. I don't think I'd jump on a river bandwagon just yet. 
No, I mean, I tipped River at the start of the tournament, but I, I don't think you could look at that River Palmeiras um, tie over two legs and reasonably suggest that River Plate are favourites unless you put an astonishing amount of weight on what's in between Gachado's ears and what he's achieved over the last five years. Yeah. And, you know, if you're talking about footballer to footballer, individual and coll- individually and collectively, Palmeiras are the better side. I, I remember when we looked at the... Uh, when we did the podcast, Ollie, when we actually looked at that round of 16, and I was absolutely adamant that the top half of the draw was a stronger half of the draw. I looked at saw defending champions, Flamengo, Boca Juniors, six-time winners, Gremio, always in the semi-finals, Liga de Quito, and I was like, that top half is, is really, really strong. But actually, it's the second half, of the, you know, in the semi-final stage, no matter who gets through, whether Racing or Boca Juniors qualify, the River Plate Palmeira semi is a stronger semi-final. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely the two strongest in the competition, and the yep. most entertaining as well. They're the easiest clubs to get behind. And take the Nacional v River result out of it. They're still a more entertaining football side to watch because of the... It maybe isn't as attractive as Palmeiras, but it's it works. If you if you understand what I mean, like it, it flows the way... River play football the way they want to play football without it looking like too disjointed when they try and move the ball around or when they shuffle players around in position. They're a good machine to watch under Gachado's guidance. Palmeiras are more like the, they're like the Jurgen Klopp. Hey, yeah, rock and roll football. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, we're going to have great time, play super attacking <laughs> football. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Cool, nice. Sure, like sure. it's, you know, it's the 19, 1990s cool German football. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're by, by far the two most likable sides to watch. Um, I, I, if you're a fan, surely, Windsor, you want Boca through because and we touch on it towards the end of every single podcast. Everybody, <laughs> everybody, no, but like the neutral, say it. The neutral <laughs> would like for just the occasion a Boca River final, wouldn't they? The neutral wants to see that. Yeah, of but course they do. Be- as somebody that watches a fair bit of South American football, and certainly probably you watch more South American football than a lot of people in the country in the UK, don't you sure. want to see Racing do Boca? Yeah, because for me, Boca, you know, when I when I first stepped foot in Argentina, I, I was filled with dreams of what Boca Juniors were and are as a football club. And every time I've watched them play since then, I've been that that kind of that image of Boca Juniors has just got a little bit eroded, a little bit chipped away at because there's only so many times you can watch crap football and still keep this romanticised version of what, what this football club is. And I'm not denying, I'm sure Boca had, and they obviously did have unbelievable um, players and teams of the past. And I'm not taking anything away from the football club as a whole, because you know that the La Bombonera is, you know, I found it to be an incredible experience going there. But um, yeah, I, I just, Boca are, are dull to watch. They're just dull to watch. There's nothing worse, I find, in modern day football than living off past successes to the point that it becomes almost like awkwardly embarrassing. You know, if you continue yeah. to say we, oh, but we were the best 10 not years ago. Forest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> that kind of thing. not to even like, everybody knows that I'm not the biggest Arsenal fan in the world. And Arsenal fans right now are like, oh, but we were so great back then. We should be this. Man United fans that demand positions in Champions Leagues every single year, even if they qualify or not through the league. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing worse than that, living off mystique and thinking that 
earns you a right to be at the top table when actually the sides that play the best football should be there. I mean, it, it is really chipping at me still that Independiente Del Valle play great football and they won't be involved mm. at this level in the competition. And a side like Boca Juniors will be and there will be enough people that will watch Boca and probably root for them because they only know the mystique and not actually what a poor footballing side they are at times this year. That Boca Racing quarterfinal second leg, Ollie, is live on the BBC. Um, Good plug. Yeah, well, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> work, got, you know, got to tell with, the people. with our friends, no, with our friends Joel Richards and Peter Coates. But uh, give someone a reason to stay up and watch that in, uh, you know, past midnight on the 24th of December. Give, give someone who's got no connection, let's say, to the tournament or no real reason to watch it. Like, why would you stay up and watch that? There's no fans in La Bombonera just playing devil's advocate. So let me let me take you back to an evening. <laughs> wow. An evening in Buenos Aires. Uh, back at the, the beginning of this year, before COVID-19 was really a, a huge issue, before the world had been completely rocked by the problems of a pandemic, and when you could sit outside and enjoy a beverage and just watch some games of football with fans in the stands. Now, the fans are gone. But if there's one thing that teams like Boca Juniors can do, it is pull off unbelievable footballing moments in the big time. And let's not, let's not forget about this racing side that has its own phenomenal pedigree. Not just a fantastic ground to go and watch football in. And I did really enjoy going to see racing, even though they got pasted by River Plate. Not just because they've got dogs in the stands, Windsor. <laughs> this is a side that won their first ever Libertadores way back in 1967. Yeah. And they've still got a fairly storied history. First winners of a Club World Cup, I believe. I've yep, yep, yep. Which that, hence, yeah, yeah. hence the mosaic at the ground, which is a gorgeous thing yeah, to go and look yeah. at. It's beautiful, yeah. And they've got a young, ex- exciting coach in them. And they have a lead against Boca Juniors. But Boca do have that mystique, which the neutral will still want to tune into. And they have also shown that they can produce stellar moments of sensational television, let alone sporting achievement. When Carlos Tevez smashed from the edge of the 18-yard box past a side led by Diego Armando Maradona in the Bombonera to win on the final day of the season, the Argentina Super the League season, yeah. That's a reason to tune in because regardless of what you buy into in terms of whether Boca are any good or not, that moment shows that however bad this Boca side is, there's still a history of winning in that system. And they can probably still win. And they could probably still win in a really dramatic way in the Bombonera and turn around the first leg deficit. And if not, then you're seeing a huge upset potentially. And you're seeing a side that's going to be one of the top four sides on the South American continent in Racing. Uh, it's definitely worth a watch. More worth a watch than Nacional against River Plate, to be honest, because that time was over. <laughs> Anybody that stayed yeah, up for that yeah, is a yeah. buffoon. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying, Ollie, is that we end up with a Boca Juniors River Plate final at the Maracanã on January 30th. I think it's <laughs> Sorry, looking that e- I think it's looking we that can't, way. We can't, we can't end every podcast like this. <laughs> this will be the last uh, last season that we, that we uh, talk about Boca River finals because it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen again. Okay. It was a once in a... So at this point, semi-finals, who goes through? Because we'll talk later on before the semi-finals, I'm sure. But as you stand right now with the week just gone, who's making the final in the Maracanã? I think it's a Racing Palmeiras final. 
But I'm still sticking to my original prediction of River to win the whole thing. <laughs> this is just like a sub sub prediction. But, you know, we're still going to take that clip of me back in River to win the whole thing when we were uh, recording in early March. <laughs> well, you? Uh, well, I will be dredging out the my prediction of Boca winning it from the start of the tournament when it's a Boca River final in the Maracanã, obviously, because that will look great for us. Um, I'm going Palmeiras go through. I'm saying Boca go through. Big thanks for listening to the podcast. As always, hope we've been able to shine some sort of inspiring light on South American football between all the waffle and rubbish as well. Remember, you can follow uh, David Windsor on Twitter. Of course, he is the king of social media at David T. Windsor. That's at David T. Windsor. Myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. But more importantly, get onto iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all good podcasting outlets, including anchor.fm who are our hosts as well uh, you can like and subscribe follow leave a review get in contact with us ask us questions you want answered about south american football and we will find an expert who can answer them for you uh, a big thanks for listening we'll be back with some discussion around the second leg of boca against Racing, and of course a look ahead properly to the semi-finals until then have a very good christmas and festive season and take care Thank you.